you will take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. <clears throat> First of all, thank you for letting us have the week off last week. We had a great time in Gus Shores. Uh, got some rest and relaxation. But on Thursday of that week, Deborah and I went to the movie. And we saw the Jesus Revolution. And I want to tell you before I say anything else about it. It touched me in places I haven't been touched in 50 years. This is deja vu all over again because I was in high school and going into college by the time that God chose to drop himself onto a group of hippies out in California. I watched the movie and I honestly wept through just about the whole thing because it's so simple. You give Jesus your heart and life. And when you give him your heart and life, he'll lead you. He'll lead you. I think about those characters, Lonnie and Chuck and, and Greg. I think about what God did. And my prayer is, Lord, do it again. Historians tell us that that was the last great awakening of God. Of course, they, they said that before we had Asbury, Hammond, Lee College, Sanford, Texas A&M and others. I believe God's trying to do something. The Jesus movement was, I read, a, I read a blog, it was entitled A Primer on How to Stop a Move of God. In those days, at those times, the church stopped the move of God because they weren't ready to receive people that didn't look like them, act like them, walk like them, talk like them, and smell like them. And yet when God gets loose... We don't know what the outcome will be. He's supernatural. We're human. He's the creator. We're the created. This morning, it's apropos that we get to Revelation chapter 5 because this tells us a message that I'd like to communicate to you. It's the title of the message today. It's moving toward eternity. If I do nothing else this morning, when you leave this building... My message for you, what I want burn in your heart, is you're closer to eternity then than you are even right now. Whatever you do, wherever you go, whatever you say, whatever you think, whatever you are, you are moving toward eternity. You don't like to talk about it. You don't want to think about it. You don't want to act on it. But you are moving toward eternity. I'm moving toward eternity. We're all moving toward eternity with every beat of our heart, every breath we take. We are moving toward eternity. Eternity. It's not if eternity's coming, it's when eternity's come. And what is eternity going to be like for you? For you see, you have only two options in eternity. By the way, this life is but a boot camp. We have a boot camp here for life there. Whatever we do here determines what it will be like there. In fact, please listen. Five seconds after you pass from this life, you will know what your entire eternity holds. And it will hold a future 
for what you have made preparations for here. God's graciously given us this life and this people and this time to make plans for there. You have two options, by the way. You can follow yourself or you can follow the Savior. Now, if you follow the Savior, eternity is going to be far beyond anything you can think or ask. It's going to be far beyond any party that you have, any friends you have, anything that you can do on the earth. If you follow the Savior, eternity is going to be glorious. At the same time, if you follow yourself, eternity will be an eternal death. I've read and studied that all my life, and I wondered what that would mean. Eternal death. And I believe God gave me a view, or at least something in human capacity, of how to understand it. 2001, my best friend's wife died. The demon that took her life was this demon that we know as cancer. Last month that she lived, she laid in her and Roy's bedroom, suspended between earth and eternity. Have you ever had a loved one or someone you've seen like that? They're not really alive, but they're not dead. In fact, those last six days, I remember Roy and I talking about it many times That we prayed, God, if you can't bring her back as she was to life, take her into eternity. And she passed. But God gave us a little encouragement, and I'm going to give that to you right now. Last 48 hours she lived, we walk in her bedroom and she'd go, do you see them? High ceiling. You see him? Roy would say, see what, baby? He'd go, can you see the angels? You see, Jesus sent the angels so she didn't have to walk through the valley of the shadow by herself. She had made preparations. But here's what I'm going to tell you. After she had passed, it's like God tapped me on the shoulder. and He said, you know, Jerry, all your life you've been wondering what eternal death looks like. Here it is. It's not quite life. It's not quite being gone. It's just suspended in pain and agony. When I remember Barbara, I think that's hell without the fire. And when you think about the fire, I'll just I'll say we'll talk about this probably when we get to Revelation twenty, the lake of fire. Seems to me that God's going to give those who reject Jesus another body. A body that can endure for all eternity in hell. Because you and I know, you put these bodies in the fire, they turn to ash. They're gone. And the body for the lost person will be the one, will be a body that can endure the pain and the heat. It'll have all the senses. We know that from the story of the rich man and Lazarus. But I want to say this to you at the outset as I talk about moving toward eternity. Hell was not designed for you. It was designed for the devil, his demons, his minions. But for those who reject Jesus, it'll be an eternal dwelling place. Eternity is about either eternal life 
or eternal death. And you're making the decision for you right now. When we get to the book of the Revelation, we see that Jesus is revealing the beginnings of eternity in Revelation. Obviously, eternity is beyond our our minds. And, and when we get to chapter 21, 22, we'll really see just eternity kick off. But to get there, we have to go through the throne room of God. It is in this room that we find ourselves moving toward eternity. So if you have found Revelation chapter 5, if you can and will, would you stand to honor the reading of God's holy word? After he's caught up in the spirit, he's in heaven. In chapter 5, he says, Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll, with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look in it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he may be able to open the scrolls and its seals. Then I saw one, like a slaughtered lamb, standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns. That means he had perfect, complete power. He had seven eyes. That means he had all knowledge. Which are the seven spirits of God, the Holy Spirit, sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father. Today I pray that you will open our ears to hear, open our eyes to see, open our hearts to know, open our souls to receive what you want to send our way, what you want to teach us and tell us. How you want to draw us to yourself. How you want us to live your life by your spirit. That we can make preparation for your eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated. Can you imagine? Can you in your wildest dreams imagine what it will be like to be in the very throne room of the one who created the universe? 
Can you imagine what John was sensing, what he was seeing, what he was feeling? Can you visualize the one on the throne? Can you hear the voices of those creatures who, who were offering holy, authentic, pure worship? Can you, in your mind, see the sights in heaven? Can you sense the atmosphere, the holiness of the atmosphere like man has never known? When I read these verses, my mind begins to just wonder because I know God is leading us toward eternity. From this room, I only this is going to be a very simple message. I want to offer you this story and I want to lift out three things for you to see and see how it impacts your life personally. The first thing that we see when the chapter opens is we see the scroll. We see the scroll. And it says there, Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne. Now we all have come to the understand that the one seated on the throne was no more, no less than Jehovah God. And he had in his right hand the hand of power. A scroll. Now, a scroll don't mean much to us today because we have bound books. In those days, they did not have bound books. Things that were written and stored and lived by were written on scrolls. One of the things that was written on scrolls were title deeds. Now, how many of you own your land that you live on? Would you raise your hand? Certainly about 99% of this room does. A title deed. Now, for us to understand the significance of this scroll, we might need to understand a little bit about the Jewish, about the Jewish custom regarding title deeds and lands and what have you. It's not quite like it is today. I remind you that God gave Abraham the land. And then when Joshua went in and, and they took the land, they assigned ownership to the families, to the parties, and those, that ownership could never be revoked. Now, what could happen is that if, a, if one of the owners of this Jewish land got in dire straits and needed some money to live, he could sell his land by agreement so he'd have money to live, but it would not be permanent. According to Leviticus 25, every 50 years, it was called the year of Jubilee. On the 50th year, the land would refer, revert back to the family, but it wasn't free. Had to pay the price. And if he couldn't pay the price, here's a familiar Bible term, he could get a kindred redeemer. To pay the price so the land would come back to the family. Now, Brother Jerry, what does that have to do with this? Well, when John saw the scroll, I believe that he understood completely that that was the title deed to earth. And by the way, on that title deed that the Jews, uh, um, that the Jews drew up, on that scroll, on the inside of the scroll... It told about how the man lost the land. On the outside of the scroll was what had to be done 
to regain the land, to redeem the land, to reclaim the land. When John saw the scroll in the hand of the one on the throne, he knew it was the title deed to earth. He knew that the one on the throne held the title deed. Those seven seals, in Jewish law, those seven seals could have been a couple of things. could have been seven witnesses that sealed it. It could have been because it was classified information and they couldn't see it. But here's what I want you to see today. The sealed scroll in the hands of the Lord tells us, tells us that God's world was forfeited by the sin of the first Adam. That would have been the inside. The outside would tell how the world could be redeemed and reclaimed and restored through the second Adam, Jesus. It's only through him that the world would be redeemed. We need to hang on to that. When the scroll is open, all the events that we will get to in Revelation, all these events are are recorded within the scroll. Everything that happens is in the scroll. And it's vital that the scroll is opened. In the right hand of the powerful God, in the right hand of the one sitting on the throne, is the scroll. And it seems to me that everybody in the throne room, everybody in the throne room, understands what has to happen. God's holding it. God's protecting it. God is looking for the one who will open the scroll and redeem the scroll. And just like a Jewish title deed had to have one with authority... One appointed, one who was worthy to open the scroll. There had to be one worthy to snap these seals and open the scroll. Without this, the scroll won't be opened. We can't find the one to open it. Without this, the scroll won't be opened. Creation won't be reclaimed. People will not be redeemed. And so the search begins. The search begins. Verse 2. It says that a mighty angel. Now, it doesn't give us the name. Some people guess it's Gabriel. Other people guess it's Michael. I don't know who it was. I don't know if God has named all of his angels. But we do know those two are mentioned in Scripture. We just know that it was a mighty angel. And he steps up and he says, Who is worthy to open the scroll? Who is worthy to break the seals? Who who can open this up? Who will declare what's written inside of it? Who in the world is worthy? And then there's silence. John sat in silence. The elders sat in silence. The worshiping creatures sat there in silence. The one sitting on the throne sat there in silence, waiting. Will anyone step forward? Is anyone worthy? How about some of the fathers of the faith? Surely, Abraham was a friend of God. Moses, he led the children of Israel out of captivity. He parted the Red Sea. He received from God the Ten Commandments. How about David, a man after his, after God's own heart? How about Joshua? How about Peter, walked on water? How about Paul, the most committed man in the, to the gospel? 
The search went on and the search was extensive. Make no mistake. Look at what it says here. But no one, watch this, they looked in heaven. They looked on earth. They looked under the earth. You know, that's the place nobody wants to go. They were searching extensively for someone who was worthy. That search must have seemed like an eternity to John because it struck him in his heart. He says in verse 4, he says, my translation says, wept and wept. That doesn't tell the whole thing. Some translations from the old Greek says, I wept much. I wept greatly. I began to weep loudly. The search was coming up empty. It's obvious that that John was overwhelmed with the need for somebody to open the scroll. Why did he why did he weep? Those two words wept and wept. The first wept means that you that you cry, that you weep, that you bemoan, that you bewail. The second wept literally means it's a lot, it's extensive, it hurts, it's down to the heart, if you will. Why was he weeping? Because he understood. Do you understand that if the scroll is not open, creation will not be reclaimed? And people will not be redeemed. The scroll has to be opened. The search continues. The search goes on. And it was coming up empty. And some of you are going, well, why didn't John just say, hey, Jesus, how about Jesus? Well, I don't know. You don't know. It doesn't tell us. Perhaps, can you imagine being in that room? Can you imagine being overwhelmed by what you were seeing? The search. Can I take a break from prophecy just a second? And bring this thought to us. The search. Everybody ever created is searching. Searching for something or searching for someone. Some are searching for the meaning of life. Some in this room are searching for the meaning of life. The significance in life. Or maybe the answers for life. Some, some are searching for that one who can make them happy. They are looking for that one who will give them peace. That one who will give them hope. That one who will give them security. There's probably at least one person in this room today. You know that you're searching for something or someone. Just like we're about to discover in the throne room. Here's what I want to say to you. If that's you, there is one. There is one. There is one who will answer all your questions. There is one who will give you significance in life. There is one who will be your companion. There is one who will stay with you. It's closer than a brother. He's the one worthy. 
He's the one who's paid the price. And he's the one that's available to you today, right now. And his name is Jesus. When you come to Jesus, things change. He's as close as Gordon Jensen wrote. He's as close as the mention of his name. And your search can end today. Call on his name. Believe in your heart. John was weeping because no one was found. Oh, one of the elders must have got to feeling sorry for John. He kind of tapped him on the shoulder and he said, Hey, don't weep. Don't weep. Don't be brokenhearted because there is one. And then the scripture says he called him the lion. You know about the lion? He's the king of the beast. Dangerous. Uncontrollable. Royal. The lion of the tribe of Judah. That's significant because Judah was the oldest of the patriarchs. And then he says, and he's the root of David. Now we think of Jesus as being the fruit of David. Because he came after David in Bethlehem. But he's the root of David. He was before, during, and after because he's Jesus. The elder says he's a lion of the tribe of Judas. Judah, he is the root of David. He is the one who is conquered. He is the one who is worthy. By the way, it says conquered here. What has he conquered? Are you listening? He conquered sin. He conquered hell. And he conquered the greatest enemy that we think we have, death. He conquered sin, death, and hell. He conquered Satan. He conquered all his minions. Here's the word for you today. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're going through, no matter what life is giving you, no matter how depressed you may be, no matter how despised you think you are, Jesus is there for you. Folks, we Baptists, we have a lot of things right. For visitors, I'm Baptist born, Baptist dead. Baptist born, Baptist bred. One day when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. I love being a Baptist. But we don't have it all right. We don't get it all right. Baptists like to think that we are self-made. We are man-made. If you are self-made, brothers and sisters, anyone here, you will be self-destroyed. But if you're a Savior made, when the time comes, you'll be saved forever. Here's an interesting note for us from our text. John had looked and looked and looked, searching for the one. Searching for the one. They had looked all through heaven, all through earth, on earth, to no avail. They looked. Listen, are you you with me? They looked until they became desperate. Desperate. We don't know much about desperation in America. 
We live in a democracy, not a kingdom. Things are different in a kingdom than a democracy. He looked, he looked, he looked, he looked, he looked. No one. And then, (laughs) verse 6, then he saw the Savior. Then he saw the Savior. Where's the Savior standing? He's standing right where he always stood. He's standing. He's by the throne. The light of that carnelian and jasper around the throne may have included the vision, but he was standing at the throne. He was, he was right there with the Father, right where he should have been. For you see, we serve one God, but he comes in three, in three manifestations. In the Old Testament, we needed God the Father, the one to rule with an iron fist. And God stepped out of heaven and he led the children of Israel. He did all the work in the Old Testament. Then in Acts chapter 2, God the, God the Spirit came and resides among us. He's been given to us. And when we needed a Savior... When we needed a lamb, when we needed a suffering servant, Jesus stepped out of heaven. Here in heaven, in this scene now, John looks just all of a sudden. There was Jesus. There was Jesus. May I just say that Jesus has been there all the time. A song was sang years ago. He was there all the time. We've been blessed two and a half years that I've been here. One of our great blessings was the 14 months, almost two years that we were on two services. That time our adult praise team came together and led us, and our young people came together and led us in worship. Here's what I want to tell you. Sometimes we get so caught up in the music that we miss the message. I think both groups did this, but I really equate it to in the making for bringing it to our attention. I'm not going to listen to a whole song. Just a couple of minutes. But the truth is, this is the message we need to hear today when we're searching. Every time I try to make it on mine Every time I try to stand and start to fall And all those lonely roads that I traveled on There was Jesus When the life I built came crashing to the ground when the friends I had were nowhere to be found, I couldn't see it then, but I can see it now. Well, there was Jesus in the way, in the searching, in the healing, the hurting, like a blessing buried in the broken pieces. 
in the waiting, in the searching, in the healing, in the hurting. Like a blessing buried in the broken pieces. Every minute, every moment, there was Jesus. There was Jesus. When you look at the scripture, it seems that all of a sudden, when they got desperate enough to look, there was Jesus. Here's what I'll say to you today. No matter what's going on in your life, it's an old saying. Jesus will not, Jesus will not be all you need until he's all you've got. And when he's all you've got, he'll be all you need. He's the answer to life question. He's the one that moves us toward eternity. When they were desperate up there, there was Jesus. Jesus, the lion, the lamb, the savior, the one is worthy. If you look at verse 7, he went and he took the scroll. From the one on the throne, from God the Father, he went and took the scroll. Now today, in the hands of Jesus, is the script for eternity. It's the eternity for the whole world. It's eternity for those who know Jesus. It's eternity for those who have rejected Jesus. Those who haven't received Jesus. Written in that scroll is eternity for everyone. Those you know, those you don't know, your friends, your neighbors, your family, your spouse, your children, your parents, me, you. Just as surely as you are sitting here today, just as surely as people are listening by stream today, Jesus holds it in his hand. And which side of eternity you are on depends on which side of Calvary you have chosen. Depends on which side of Calvary you now choose today. Have you ever chosen the Savior? If not, would you choose him today? Jesus holds eternity because, as we'll see next week, He's the only one who is worthy. He's the only one who paid the price. He's the only one that can forgive your sin and change your life. He's the only one worthy to move you from this place into eternity. Would you choose him? Would you trust him? The world, please listen. Teenagers, please listen. The world's going to allure you. They're going to lie to you. They're going to call you. They're going to cajole you. They're going to promise you. But the world side of eternity, everyone in this room is not the place that you want to end up. Because every breath you take, every time your heart beats, every move you make, you're moving one step closer to eternity. Let's pray together.